0: Thank you, Colin, and the praise team. That's wonderful singing. Uh, for some of you who may not know me, you've seen my name on the bulletin. Maybe you were expecting a woman, a preacher, because of my name, Lori, but uh, it's the name I was given, and it's the name I've been going by for the last 75 years. So that's what it is. I want to say, first of all, that uh, I'm really, I really praise the Lord for uh, Eastgate Church. I praise the Lord for his grace, his goodness, his mercy, his kindness. God is good all the time, is he not? And uh, I thank the Lord for this opportunity to be here with you today and to share God's word with you. Let's just bow in a word of prayer and ask the Lord's blessing on this word. Our loving and gracious Heavenly Father, we are here in your presence because there's nowhere that we can go but what you are there. You will always be with us all the time. And I just pray now, Lord, in these moments that we have, that uh, you will open our mind, our ears, our hearts to not just hear the word, but that it would be embedded in our souls and in our hearts that we might be changed and transformed by your word, by the power of the Spirit. May your will be done today, Lord. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. When I was asked to speak this morning today, uh, nobody told me how long I could speak. I'm glad this is an air-conditioned room, and so for the next couple hours we'll see what God—no, it's not going to be that long, it's not going to be that long. Um, I searched for a message and uh, I found one. It's a message that uh, God has put upon my heart for you today. And as you saw in the bulletin and or on the screens, the title is Here Come the Judge. Uh, most of you are probably too young to remember Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In on TV, a comedy show way back in the 70s, I believe, or maybe even before that. But here's a video clip that will remind you of it. this statement, ain't too bold, but here comes the judge, here comes the judge, here comes the judge, here comes the judge, here comes the, come the judge. Yes, here come the judge, here come the judge. That was a phrase that uh, became a sort of a byword for quite some time. Whenever you get into a tough spot and you needed somebody to uh, talk to you about it, And you'd see that person, you'd say, Here come the judge, here come the judge, here come the judge. The guy that's going to help you get through that tough spot. There are good judges, there are mediocre judges, there are poor judges, and even some judges who can be bribed. The Bible has a lot to say about judges. In fact, there's a whole book in the Old Testament. Named Judges. I knew you, I know you knew that. And it talks about the judges that God raised up for the people of Israel. When uh, Moses died after leading the people out of Egypt and he brought them to the place where they were going to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land, uh, Moses turned the work over to Joshua and it was Joshua who led the Israelites, into the promised land. And the people followed the Lord and obeyed the commands of the Lord mostly while they were entering into the land and taking possession of the land. But then Joshua died at 110. And uh, the elders that were with Joshua at that time, they led the people and guided the people. But then they too died off. And the Bible records for us that the people then Returned and turned away from the Lord. And they did that which was right in their own eyes. And they didn't follow the commands of the Lord. And so they were being oppressed and uh, trodden down and beaten by the people that were left in the land of Canaan that they should have gotten rid of but didn't. And so God took pity on them and God raised up judges to help the people. Now some of these judges were not judges in the sense that we hear of them today where uh, we have a um, judicial system and we have judges in our courts of law and some of these judges are good judges and some of them aren't good judges and some of them are politically correct with the political system that's in place at the time and so uh, there are different kinds of judges and these judges that that um, we read about in the book of Judges. They did their best to lead the people. They weren't, like I say, they weren't necessarily in a court of law, but they were the judges who decided different questions and different, give different answers. And it's interesting in our own culture today, our Our system of the courts of law, our judicial system, our system of justice is based on the Judeo-Christian model that we have received from the study of the Word of God uh, over the years. That was not the case, of course, in the Old Testament because, of course, they didn't have the Christian period at that time. Judges today try their very best to uphold justice. At least I think most of them do. But in the Old Testament, God had a way of taking care of his chosen people. And these are the judges. Some of these you know. Uh, There are 12 or 13 or 14 that are mentioned in the book of Judges. Some people claim that uh, Samuel was one of the judges. But others say, no, Samuel was a, a prophet of God. But most of them you've heard about at least. Uh, Many of them you've heard about. There was Gideon. There was Deborah. There was Jephthah, There was Othniel. There was Samson. And there were several others. Now I'm not going to take the time to go through all of those judges that are mentioned in the book of Judges. But I want to touch on three judges. Two of them are mentioned in the book of Judges and the third one is not. Although the third one is alluded to throughout the scriptures. These uh, judges that I present to you today um, give us some principles by which we can live. And I'm hoping and trusting the Lord that these principles will help us to live as God wants us to live in these days. The first one to be mentioned is a man named Shamgar. Shamgar is first mentioned in Judges chapter 3. And verse 31, you'll see that scripture on the board, on the, on the screen rather. After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. Now Ehud, the one that's mentioned before Shamgar, was the man that uh, had a dagger in his hand. And he kind of thrust that dagger into the belly of uh, one of his opponents and actually lost the whole dagger and blade and handle and everything in the fat of the man's stomach. But after Ehud came Shamgar. How many of you have heard of Shamgar? Yeah, that's what I figured. Not very many people know of Shamgar. I listened to a message about Shamgar, and to tell the truth, I hadn't heard much about Shamgar either. So I started digging around a bit to find out about Shamgar, and I read this verse. After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath. So who is this guy? Who is he? Son of Anath. Was Anath the name of his father? Nope. Was Anath the name of his mother? nope it says he was the son of anath well you won't find in scripture the name of a person named anath but you will find the name anath as an idol beth anath was a place the place of the idol anath now shamgar was not the son of the idol but Shamgar was from the place called Beth Anath. It's like saying today, um, well, this, you know Mike from London. Or, or you know, uh, as we've heard not in the last couple of months, on the death of Gordy Howe, you've heard, well, Gordy was from Floral, Saskatchewan. He was the son of Floral, Saskatchewan. So we'd say, Gordy, son of Floral. Shamgar, son of Anath, a place. Shamgar was chosen of God. He was raised up by God, by the Lord, our God Almighty, to be a judge in Israel and to help Israel overcome their enemies. There are a couple of things that we can learn from him. First of all, he did what he could for the Lord. He did what he could for the Lord. He saved Israel. Do we do what we can for the Lord? Oh, we might not. Uh, we might not have all the education. We might not have all the abilities that we need. We might not have uh, all kinds of things that would uh, work well for the Lord. But we do what we can. We don't have all the gifts of the Spirit. But we have to remember that the Lord used people who weren't always the most gifted. You Remember, he chose Moses. But the Bible says that Moses had a hard time speaking. He couldn't speak well. And he said, I don't want to do this, Lord. I don't want to lead your people out of Israel because I can't speak well. And they'll ask, who who sent you? And I can't can't answer them. The Lord says, okay, I'll give you Aaron, your brother. He can speak well. But the Lord used Moses too. He used Paul the Apostle. Well, Paul the Apostle well, used to be called Saul. And he was an enemy of the church. But God raised up Saul to become Paul. But you know in the Bible, what the Bible says about him at one place? He says they called him a babbler. He stuttered. He they couldn't talk very well. But that was Paul the Apostle. And he wrote all those books in the New Testament. And he was a a tremendous missionary. He worked for the Lord. He didn't have all the abilities. He didn't have all... He had a lot of education. But God used him. Think of Peter. Peter, the impetuous one. Peter always had a... He was the first one to answer. Whenever Jesus asked a question, Peter answered. When Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem and there they're going to take me, and they're going to crucify me. And on the third day, this will never happen to you, Lord, said Peter. And then there was Jonah. Remember Jonah? God called Jonah. And Jonah said, I don't want to go to those people over in Nineveh. I hate those people in Nineveh. I just hate them. Look what they did to us. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. So Jonah ran away. And God brought him back, and he went to Nineveh. And God used him mightily there in Nineveh. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 29. I don't think we have this on the screen. But it says this. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose me, the foolish things of the world, to shame the wise. God chose me, the weak things of the world, to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. I remember a time when we were, my wife and I were missionaries in Central Africa and there was, uh, the town that we lived in was called uh, Chibanga. Well, you don't have to remember that, but that was the name of the town. And the assistant mayor of the town came to us one day and said, I want, you to, me- I want to meet with you in my office. So I called the local national Gabonese pastor and we went together to his office. And we got into his office and he says, I've got something to say to you. I don't think that you are doing anything here in this town. I don't think that you are even, uh, you shouldn't even be here because you're not helping us in the, li- the least. And if it was up to me, he said, Now it's not up to him because he was just the assistant mayor. But he said, if it was up to me, I'd send you home and you'd be out of here because you're not doing anything. And I said, well, what did you expect that we should be doing? And he said, well, for one thing, you could build a nice medical clinic for us. For another thing, you could be building some schools for us. For another thing, you could be building houses here for our people of your church. You getting all these funds from the government there in the United States, you should be able to build all these things for us. I said, listen, sir, first of all, we don't get any funds from the governments of the United States or of Canada. Secondly, we're not here to build. We are here to build a church. Well, that's nothing, he said. That's nothing. I said, listen, the Bible is our book, the book that we follow. And the Bible tells us that we are to preach the good news, speak about the good news of Jesus Christ and how he came to this earth and how he died on a cross and how he was buried and how he rose again from the dead and how he lives today. And those who put their trust in him will receive eternal life. And he was silent. He said, well, yeah, 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 that, okay. And I said, by the way, we have built a school. In fact, we've built churches out in the villages. And we've also built schools out in the villages. Well, how come we didn't hear about this? Well, you're hearing about it now. You see, the people of the world don't understand what God has called us to do. They don't know what God has called us to do. But do you know what God has called you to do? Shamgar did what he could for the Lord. And then Shamgar used what he had. He used what he had. The scripture verse says that Shamgar used an ox goad. Do you know what an ox goad is? It's a long stick. Sometimes there was a, a metal point on the end of it. And the farmers that had oxen, they used to plow the fields with their oxen. Sometimes the oxen would stand still and stop. And the farmer would take his ox goad and poke them to make the oxen go. It wasn't a AK-47, but Shamgar used an ox goad And what does it say? He killed 600 Philistines with the ox goad. Shamgar used what he had. The people were oppressing the Israelites. God was gracious and compassionate. He raised up Shamgar to lead the people. Thirdly, he used it where he was located. Well, where was he located? Well, you have to turn over a couple of chapters in Judges to chapter 5. And in chapter 5 and verse 6, we read another verse, the only other verse about Shamgar. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, and in the days of Jael, the roads were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Why was that? Because they were being oppressed and there were crooks and there were thieves and there were robbers in the areas. And so they wouldn't go on on the open paths, but they would or the open roads, and they would take these winding paths. And that's where Shamgar was, and that's where Shamgar was used of God. God calls each of us, each one of us, every one of us, to do what we can, with what we have at hand, in the place where we are, for the glory of God. Shamgar, he too saved Israel. In other words, he oppressed the oppressors. He killed, uh, six, was it 600 or 600 Philistines? Oh, that set them back for a while. Shamgar was used of God. All I want to say about Shamgar now is this that just as he was called of God, just as he was used of God, And he used what he had in his hand. And he did it in the place where he was. That's what God expects of us. God calls each one of us. God wants to use each one of us. And he has a place for us. We heard this morning about the VBS program that's coming up. Asking for volunteers to work. Is God asking you to do something like that? You say, well, I can't, I, I can't work with kids. You don't, maybe don't have to work with the kids. There's other things that you could be doing. If nothing else, you could be at home praying on the days of VBS. God wants you to use what you have, where you are, for his glory, to see people saved. A second judge that we read about in the Bible, in the book of Judges, was a man named Samson. A man named Samson. There are several things that we can learn from Samson and apply to our lives. What do you know about Samson? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of or hear about Samson? His strength. He was a strong man. He was a strong man. What else do you know about Samson? He what? What? He had long hair. Yes. Yes. He was a Nazarite. Very good. All right, there's some things that we can learn there. You know, I, have to, I want to say first off that uh, Samson was not strong in his own right. His strength didn't come from him. It came from the Lord. He wasn't uh, 6 feet 10 inches tall, 260 pounds he didn't have a gym where he went to do his push-ups and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he didn't have strength in his own right, in his own body. He, did, he wasn't a strong man of himself. He was a Nazarite, it's true. He took the vow of the Nazarite. I don't know that he decided to take that vow himself. But the angel of the Lord appeared to his mother and father and to his mother first and said, you're going to have a son. And she said, how can I have a son? I'm past the time. I'm sterile. I can't have kids. The Lord said, believe me, you're going to have a child. And this child is going to be a Nazarite from the time that he's born. You have to go back into Numbers chapter 6 to read about what a Nazarite vow was. Nazarite vow wasn't always for the length of the person's life. Sometimes it was just for a couple of weeks or a couple of months or maybe a year or whatever. But that vow, as mentioned in Numbers chapter 6, had three important aspects to it. Number one, the person who had the Nazarite vow, who took the Nazarite vow, was not to drink wine or any strong drink, was not to eat, eat not even eat grapes or the skin of grapes. That was verboten. You couldn't do it. Secondly, he was not to touch a corpse, whether animal or human. He was not to go near it, not to touch it. And thirdly, he was not to cut his hair for the full time, the length of the vow. And for Samson, that meant all his life. He was going to be a Nazarite from his birth to his death. So Samson grew up knowing these things That he was not to drink wine. And as a matter of fact, his mother and father were also taking that same vow of the Nazarite. He was not to drink strong drink. He was not to touch a corpse. He was not to have his hair cut. Ever. These three things are the things that we remember about Samson. But we forget that Samson was only strong when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He was appointed by God to save Israel from their enemies who were constantly harassing them, plundering them, killing them. God was showing mercy on the Israelites by raising up this judge. Here come the judge. Here come the judge. Samson came along. And you know what? The Philistines knew that his strength came from somewhere other than himself. As you read the story of Samson in the book of Judges, chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, you read of the good times that he had and you read of the bad times that he had. You read about his strength, you read about his weaknesses, but he was a judge in Israel. God used him even with all these weaknesses that he had. And there were plenty. For example, Samson didn't stick to his boundaries. Now, we all have boundaries in our life. We have boundaries in our society. When you're born, what happens? The nurses pick you up, they put a blanket around you, and they put you into something that looks like a fishbowl on wheels. You're in this place. You can't go anywhere. Well, you couldn't in you don't have the strength to. But when you do get a little bit of strength, you grow up a little bit, you get to be one or two or three years old, and what do they do? They put you in a playpen with bars on it. You can't get out of it. There are boundaries there for you. And you grow up a little bit more and you get to be a teenager. Are there still boundaries? Oh, yes. I want you home by 10 o'clock. You can't can't be out later than 10 o'clock. That's one of the boundaries. No, you cannot go into that bar. We don't allow that. Another boundary. I don't want you getting any tattoos on your chest. Change that channel. You're not watching that garbage. There are boundaries all over the place. And even when we get to be an adult and we are free no, you're not. You go 80 kilometers an hour in a 15-kilometer zone, you're going to know there's boundaries. There are boundaries all over the place. God had laid out some boundaries for Samson. But uh, he didn't keep them. First of all, he didn't take the advice of his parents. His parents had taken that Nazarite vow too, and they knew. And Samson said he went down to one of the towns of the Philistines and he saw a beautiful woman there and he said to his parents, get me that woman for my wife. And his parents said, no, wait now, Samson wait there you don't want that one she's an enemy she's a philistine she doesn't know god she has nothing to do with it. you can find somebody amongst our own people for your wife get me that woman he said he didn't take their advice and he got into trouble he was weak in the area of how would you say his love life he didn't stay within those boundaries This desire, this lust of his not taking the advice led to his downfall. You know, the Bible is full of good advice. Where do you get your advice? Well, as kids, we get advice from our parents. Sometimes we don't take it, but their advice is there. Sometimes we get advice from our pastor in his messages on Sunday. Sometimes we take that advice. Sometimes we don't. We look into the word of God. And we get some advice there as well. Proverbs 12, verse 15 says, The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 19, verse 20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end you will be wise. Probably one of the best known verses in Proverbs that gives us good advice is, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge God and he will direct your paths. If Samson had only listened to the advice from his parents right from the start, he would have avoided a lot of grief. But he didn't. He didn't listen and it cost him. So what can we learn from him? Just this, even if you know that you are called of God to a certain task, even when you know that God is still on your side, don't let your own ego, your own pride, your own wanting things to go your way. Who was it? Was it Frank Sinatra? He used to sing, I did it my way. You know, that's what we sometimes feel in our own hearts. We want to do it our way. Yes, he was used of God to be a judge in Israel. Yes, he did deliver the people from the oppression of the enemy, but he ended up as a failure because. He did drink strong wine. He did touch a dead corpse. And he did lose his hair. And when he lost his hair, he was as weak as anybody else. Because the Bible says he realized that the strength of the Lord had departed from him. God had departed from him. God had been merciful to him. When he drank that wine, God had been merciful to him. When he touched that corpse, twice he had at least twice he had broken the Nazarite vow. But God had been gracious to him. But when he lost his hair, God said, "That's enough." And he lost not only his hair, but he lost his eyes. And what did he do? Oh, we seem to think that uh, Samson, in the end, was, was was really good, and he one last gesture. He asked to be placed between the two pillars of the temple of Dagon, their God, and then asked God for strength one more time. But if you look at it closely, you see that he committed suicide. Because he was asking for him. Lord, venge- I want vengeance on my- for the loss of my eyes. Lord, I want vengeance for what they had done to me. Lord, give me the strength again. Lord, help me in this place. And he pushed the pillars over and died. The third and final judge that we'll look at is not in the book of judges but it's alluded to throughout scripture. This is the judge that is yet to come. In the book of the Acts chapter 10 verses 42 and 43. Do we have that verse on No, we don't have that one. Okay. In Acts 10, 42 and 43, we read the words that the apostles spoke, speaking about Jesus. And this is what they said. He, Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God has appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And in John's Gospel, chapter 5, we read this too. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom He is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. We learn something from Shamgar, we learn something from Samson, and we can learn something from the Judge of all the earth. He is coming. He is coming. Friends, he is coming. The judge of all the earth is coming. We don't know exactly when, but he is coming. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to listen to a message that was preached at General Assembly this year by our president, David Hearn. And he spoke about the light shall arise from Isaiah. Isaiah. Yes, the light will shine. And he also spoke about the fact that it's like a breeze blowing through. But we're waiting for that wind of the Spirit to come. Friends, the judge is coming. We cannot, well, we can put it aside and we can say, no, I don't believe that. Or, no, I, I'm, I, I got lots of time. I got lots of time. Jesus, the Son of God, will come someday to receive all those who have put their faith and trust in Him as Lord and Savior. For these believers, there is therefore now no condemnation, there is no judgment for those who have put their trust in Him. But for those who have not put their trust in Him, the judge is coming. Here come the judge. We can say that. Here come the judge. This is known as the Great white throne judgment. And we read about it in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. I think we have those verses. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened which is the book of life the dead were judged according to the books according to what they had done as recorded in the books the sea gave up the dead that were in them or in it and death and hades give up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what he had done then death and hades were thrown into the lake of fire the lake of fire is the second death based on this passage in revelation I would say that our world today is completely unprepared for Judgment Day. Most people in our country do not even believe that there is some sort of higher power. Or if they do believe that, they believe that someday there might be some kind of judgment. But most people do not know Jesus Christ and they do not believe that Jesus, is, Jesus Christ is God and that he will judge the world. Most people really want nothing to do with him. He's too controversial. He's the one those religious extremists and others talk about, but not normal Canadians. We could go through the whole list of all the book, of all the judges in the book of Judges, and what would we find? We would find that people, the people of Israel received a reprieve for a length of time, maybe as much as 40 years, but then they reverted and fell back into their old ways of Doing that which was right in their own eyes. And that's the way it is going in our own culture. That's the way it is going in Canada today. We have have had a generation of people who had sought the Lord. If you look back in history about revivals, you'll read about the Welsh revival. You might read about the revival that took place in Western Canada in the early 70s. But then a new generation comes along that does not know the Lord. Where are we today? We need to be reminded that there is a judgment coming. Jesus, the great judge, will come back to this earth and he will be the judge of the unrepentant. The Bible says that it is appointed unto men once to die and after this, the judgment. We speak of too little of this coming judgment. Are we afraid of it? Are we just trying to avoid upsetting people? I don't know if you've ever read the message that was preached many, a couple of hundred years ago by Jonathan Edwards. that was entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You need to look that up and read that sermon. Jonathan Edwards was a missionary in, to the Indians in the east coast of uh, the United States. He was practically blind. And he would read his messages, he'd read his sermons with his sermon book, right up close like this reading his message but people could hardly wait to get to the altar people were trembling in their place people were facing judgment and they knew it we know that there's only one way for a person to be assured of a place in heaven And that is by accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. Believing that Jesus died on the cross in my place. Believing that the blood of Jesus was shed for me. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was a great, great preacher. He was called the Prince of Preachers. On his tombstone, is inscribed... The second stanza of a song, of a hymn that we used to sing quite frequently. And whenever I'm leading a communion service, I make reference to the hymn. The hymn is There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The second stanza says this Ere since by faith I saw that stream, the, fl- the flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. And that's the stanza that is inscribed on the tomb of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Friends, where are you in your relationship to the Lord? Are you being used of God as some of these judges in the Old Testament were used of God? Are you waiting, awaiting with trembling legs and arms and mind for the judge that is yet to come? It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. We can know in our hearts that we are part of God's family. We can know that when the judge of all men does come, it will not be for me. Because there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. But if that's not the case. Then you need to make things right with the Lord. You need to renew that relationship with the Lord. You need to know. You need to know. That the blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all sin. You need to know that. God is waiting for you. To forgive you as you repent of that perhaps it's a secret sin in your heart whatever it might be God is waiting for you to repent and he will forgive and there will be no judgment no condemnation let's pray our Father in heaven we are grateful to you for the word of God which speaks to us Help us, O Lord, to do what we can with what you have given us in the place where you have put us. And help us, Lord, to learn from these, these judges and especially from the judge that is coming that we might be prepared and ready, ready to spend all of eternity, all of eternity, looking on the face of Jesus fixated on his face in his glory and knowing that we will be with him forever and ever and ever help us to this end i pray heavenly father in the name of the lord jesus amen